You are listening to the CMC Podcast. Join us each week for messages designed to equip, inspire, and motivate. And now for today's message from Student Pastor Josh Barnett. Excited about sharing with you tonight. Uh, excited about sharing. Uh, I believe this is part seven of the Sermon on the Mount series. And I, I get a really exciting part and I don't know how I'm going to fit it all in. I was telling uh, Brandon and Ella, a couple people before service, that I, you literally could spend a week on each verse here because this is it's, it's so rich, it's so deep. Um, but I'm really pumped about sharing about this part. This might, it may be the most important part of the Sermon on the Mount. I'm not going to say that it is, but it might be the most important uh, thing that Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount because it's all about prayer tonight. It's all about the Lord's Prayer. And, and I want to encourage you too, a few months ago, Paul Kern, our associate pastor, he did a two-part series on prayer. And if you didn't hear that, go back on the podcast and listen to that because it was amazing. It was, it was life-changing. It was incredible. Um, so catch that uh, if, you, if you missed that. It's really good. But um, I, I do want to encourage you as we go through this church that, it, you know, it, this is a mere overview of the Sermon on the Mount. These, the text is so rich and so deep. I want to encourage you to go back each week and meditate on these scriptures and, 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 and ponder on each one and go deeper on, on each one because there's a whole lot. Just dive deeper because it is full of revelation. And so I just want you to encourage you, like, just because we do an overview of it doesn't mean that we got it. You know, go deep into each verse. There's a whole lot here. But anyway, we're going to go uh, Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 18. And I want to start with reading it, and then we'll go back and break it down. So Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 18. If you want to read along with me, I'm actually going to be reading from the New King James Version tonight. A lot of times we, we read from the New Living Translation, but I really like the way the New King James words all of it. So starting in verse 5, it says, this is Jesus talking. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the street that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you, but you, when you pray, go into your room and when you have shut the door, pray to your father who is in the secret place and your father who sees you in secret, secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the, as the heathens do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things that you have need of before you ask him. In this manner, therefore, pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So now, uh, going back to verse 5, let's, let's start to kind of break this down here. Verse 5, notice that Jesus starts this with, when you pray. When you pray. Notice that Jesus is already assuming that his followers pray, that his disciples pray, that they pray already, and that they pray often. Matthew, in the Matthew Henry commentator, commentary, he said, it is taken for granted that all who are disciples of Christ pray. 
you may as soon find a living man that does not breathe as a living Christian that does not pray. Wow. If you are prayerless, then you will be graceless. (laughs) I love that quote there. Christ's concern in this, he's assuming that you pray already, but he's teaching on how you pray. Because it's possible to pray amiss. It's possible to pray with the wrong motive. It's possible to pray the wrong way. And so Jesus here is teaching us how to pray. He's saying that it's actually possible to pray and never be heard by God and only speaking to yourself. So we need to understand how to pray the right way. Jesus is setting out to teach us to pray. Verse 5, he shows us the wrong motive, which is praying to be seen. And in verse 6, he begins to teach us the right way. Now, we live in a very insecure, prideful, narcissistic culture. And I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to say this as nice as possible. Um, but it's a secret place that you have with the Lord in prayer. He says, when you pray, go in secret. When you pray, shut the door behind you. So that means when you go, it's a secret between you and him. Don't post about it on Facebook. Don't post about it on Instagram. If you post your Devo, hashtag Devo, with your coffee and your Bible and your thing there, you've got your reward, your reward right there is your likes. That's what, and I'm, I'm being, I'm trying to be nice, I'm sorry. But don't, don't, don't post about it. It's like you're saying, look at me and look at how spiritual I am. That's the way that it comes across to everybody else. Now, I think it's important to talk about the secret place. It's important to talk about intimacy with, intimacy with the Lord. It's important to tell people that the most important thing they can do is go in there. It's important to tell people, I think it's okay to tell people that you have your secret place and, and even talk about maybe some things that the Lord gives you permission to talk about to other people. But, but understand, it is, it's a secret place. It's, it's meant to be intimate. And it's okay to share, it's okay to talk about the secret place, just like it's okay to teach married couples, like you need to be intimate with your spouse. But I'm not going to share about intimacy with my spouse on Facebook. So I'm not going to share about intimacy with the Lord on Facebook or on Instagram or Twitter, whatever you, I don't know if anybody uses Twitter anymore, but you can encourage people, I'm all for that, but there are some things that are to remain private between you and the Lord. And, and so here's, here's what I want to encourage everyone to do, and I, I do this too. Question everything that you're going to post on social media. Every post that you make, what is your motive behind the post? What is your motive behind the post? Because if your post is so that everybody can see how spiritual you are, I promise you the likes are your reward. The likes are your reward. If it's, the, if it's like just praying in public. If you get the hand clap, that's your reward. But he says, if you go pray in secret, the, 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 and you don't tell anybody, the Lord is going to reward you publicly. <clears throat> Verse 6, he says, go into an inner room, go into a closet. Underst- we need to know, though, the place is, is unimportant. What's important is that it's private. That's what Jesus is telling us here. It's important that it's private, that it's just you and the Lord in secret. Now, he draws this language from Psalm 91. Psalm 91 is one of my favorite psalms in the Bible. I debated reading the whole thing because it is incredible, but I'm only going to read the first two verses. You go immediately read it after this. Psalms 91 says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in Him I trust. I love that. He who dwells in the secret place shall abide. Shall abide. Where else do we see the word abide? John chapter 15. He says, abide in me. 
abide in me. What does that mean to abide in him? It means to dwell in the secret place with him and you abide with him, right? He told his disciples, follow me, follow me, follow me, follow me. And then he turns to him one day and says, now abide in me. It's a, it's a secret, intimate relationship that he is inviting us into where we go in and we close the door and it's just me and it's just him. He calls it a secret place. <clears throat> what makes it secret? <clears throat> he actually wants to tell you secrets while you're there. He wants to tell you secrets while you're there. He wants to whisper things to you while you're there. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 it, first for the whole, man, I just, I love the Bible. It's so, if you haven't read the Bible, go read it. It's incredible. There's so many good things in there. But in first in Corinthians chapter two, verse 10, he begins to talk about that the Holy spirit, the spirit of God wants to reveal secrets to the spirit of man. The spirit of God wants to reveal secrets to the spirit of man. Secrets mean you don't tell anybody. And I've had to repent because I'm guilty church. I'm guilty of going into the secret place just to get a word to share right here. And that's wrong of me. I think it's okay to pray and ask God what's a good word for the church, but to go intentionally into the secret place just to leverage a word to share with other people, I don't think it's right. I think that's a wrong motive. Because God is just saying, come be with me. Just me, and don't worry about anybody else. Don't worry about anybody else seeing you. Just me. He wants to share moments with you that not anyone else knows about, and he wants to share moments with you regularly and often regularly and often. Now, why a closed door? Because intimate moments take place behind closed doors. Intimate moments take place behind closed doors. Reproduction takes place behind closed doors. He wants to get you alone so that he can reproduce himself in you. He wants to get you alone so that he can reproduce himself in you, so that he can give you his character, so that he can give you his attributes, so that he can give you his nature, so that you will then leave that place becoming an image bearer of him. You are who you hang around. You are, and if you hang out with Jesus, you begin to look like him. Acts chapter 4 verse 13, they noticed that Peter and John were uneducated men, but they could tell that they had been with Jesus. Can people tell that, they ha- that you have been with Jesus? If they can, that's God honoring you in public. <clears throat> it's in the secret place that we begin to abide in him, that we begin to dwell in him. I tell our young people this all, often, and I try to say it every time I'm up here, the secret place fixes everything. The secret place fixes everything. Well, I tried that. Well, it's not something that you try, it's something that you live It's not a place that you try. It's a place that you live in. In these verses, Jesus isn't condemning public prayer. Public prayer is fine, but he's saying secret prayer is better. In private, alone with God is better. He's making sure that public prayer is not the only prayer that we do. Jesus is drawing attention to the motives behind the actions. The point wasn't the difference between public and private. It was between heartfelt and hypocritical. So when you pray in public, even when you pray in public, make sure that you're drawing attention to God and not to yourself. Make sure that you're pointing to him and not to yourself. Even when I stand up here, I don't want people leaving talking about how awesome I am. My goal before I step on a platform is always for people to look above me, to see over me, to see him. I always want to point people towards him and how I want you to leave thinking how awesome God is, not how awesome Josh is, because I'm not that awesome. 
Verse 7, he says, don't let prayer become empty, repetitive praises. Empty, sorry, phrases. Empty, repetitive phrases. Long prayer isn't bad. Repeating something over and over and again isn't bad as long as it still holds meaning. It's not bad as long as it holds, as me, holds meaning, as long as it's not to draw attention. If you find yourself being able to mindlessly repeat the same prayer every day, then you're not really meaning it. And many people take the Lord's Prayer and they turn it into this. where It's, something, it's okay to pray this, but they turn it into this thing that they repeat over and over and over again to where it's this, just this religious duty that they're doing that's totally empty of the heart. <clears throat> Sometimes religion is doing the same thing for too long. May our prayers never become commonplace, mundane, or empty. Jesus is teaching about our private life of prayer. <laughs> we are deceiving ourselves if we only pray in public and never by ourselves. I would not have a relationship with my wife if I only talked to her in public. That would be a really messed up marriage. But people, many times, that's how they, that's their relationship with God is they only pray in public. They only pray when they're around other people. They only pray for their meals in front of other people. And they don't have that personal, intimate, alone, secret place with the Lord. Our relationship with God is developed in the secret place. When you pray in public, you're already receiving your award, reward. <laughs> People clap and cheer for you and think you're awesome. That's your reward. I tell my students this all the time, that I want to be more faithful in the secret place than I am on the platform. My goal is to always be more faithful in the secret place than I ever am on the platform. I don't want to stand in front of you if I haven't stood in front of God. I tell my students when I see them, I teach a Bible class first thing in the morning. I always tell them, I want to be sure that I see the face of Jesus before I come and I look at your faces. When I'm faithful in the secret place, he rewards me. How does he reward me? He begins to overflow out of me and I don't have to conjure up anything. He honors, I don't have to perform. It's just an overflow. It begins to, like, <laughs> begins to ooze out of me. That's a gross word, sorry. But it begins, it begins to, he begins to come out of me. I begin to bear his image without any effort. That is my reward. That is him rewarding me with his presence. I don't have to be eloquent. I lose my fear of man. All these things he begins to reward me with that was no working of my own. It was just because I was with him. I don't want to be a professional speaker, a professional minister, a professional pastor. I don't want to be an expert in theology. I want to be an expert in his presence. I want to be an expert of the secret place. I want to be a professional of his presence. Psalms 27.4, man, this is my heart cry this year. And my students are probably really tired of listening to me <laughs> say it over and over and over and over again. But this is King David. One thing that I have desired of the Lord and one thing that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord and gaze upon his beauty all the days of my life. That is the heart cry of the person that wants to live in the secret place. That is the heart cry of somebody that has had an encounter with him in the secret place. Now, I, I enjoy preaching. I really do. I like it. Sometimes I'm, I think I'm okay at it. But my joy doesn't come from preaching. I have just as much joy in my life doing other things. If this, was taken, if this position was taken from me tomorrow, I would still be able to walk tomorrow in just as much joy as I walked in today. Because guess what? Tomorrow I can still go be with my father. I was, I, dude, I am so fried right now. I am so sunburned on my back. I was pressure washing the other day. 
and I was pressure washing and I was listening to worship music the whole time and I was praying in the spirit and I was just focusing and meditating on the Lord and I was having just as much fun pressure washing as I am up here right now because I, it was just me and him enjoying his presence. Now I got a little sunburn from it. My, my forearms were, were cramping up for the rest of the day, but I still had just as much joy and I was full of peace and I wasn't worried about a thing in the world. Obviously I wasn't worried about a thing in the world. I got sunburn. <laughs> Luke chapter 10, the story of Mary and Martha. Mary had chosen the one thing, and Jesus promised that it would never be taken away from her. Come on, man. That's it right there. He, our, what's our theme this year? Making disciples, right? The Great Commission. Do you know what my favorite part of the Great Commission is? At the very end of it, when Jesus says, And lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. That's a promise that he's always going to be with me. Come on. He's never going to be taken from me. I can always be with him. He's always with me. I get excited about preaching. I get excited. I get really excited about being with my wife and kids. I get excited about, I love playing basketball. I'm not very good anymore. Added a few pounds, getting a little weight, got a little slower. I get excited about youth group. I get excited about church, but there's one thing that excites me above all else. And it is walking into my office in this building back here tomorrow morning and laying on that rug and just being in his presence, man. There's nothing like it. It's incredible. There's nothing like just going and laying in his presence, kneeling down in his presence. I have cried many tears on that rug and not tears of being sad, tears of joy, tears of, tears of just being overwhelmed with his goodness. He wants to meet us like that in our secret place. And I have had better moments on that rug than I've had anywhere else in life. And I've had some incredible moments with my wife and with my kids. Some just crazy, amazing moments. But none of them compare to that rug. I would rather lay there than anywhere else in the world. And I can't wait to get back there tomorrow. Not having time or being too busy cannot be an excuse. We have to make time. We have to make time. And it, 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 listen, the, the place is unimportant. It can be in your truck. It can be on your lunch break. Find a time for just you and the Lord. Find a place where it's just you and Him. Stay up late if you're not a morning person. If you're a morning person, get up earlier. He's more important than sleep. And He's going to bring you a lot more rest than sleep will. We've all heard of prayers, public prayers at sporting events or banquets where a pastor or someone is asked to pray and they always give this eloquent speech that's well-worded well and well-spoken. You can tell they've, they've read it or they've rehearsed it a hundred times. Anybody ever heard those prayers? Anybody ever been to some kind of thing where like this guy gets up and you can just tell he's reading this prayer? <laughs> it might be a beautiful prayer, but it doesn't mean a dang thing if it's not from right here. Doesn't mean anything if it's not right here from the from the heart. Prayer isn't some fancy public verbalization to God where you're trying to make yourself look good. It's an expression from the heart level that's real and raw and genuine. And listen, we cannot hide our, our motives from the Lord. He knows. He knows we can't hide, we can't fake out him. We can fake out ourselves before we fake out him. He sees us, he sees our real motives. He's looking for somebody that's real and genuine in his presence. 
Verse 7, he, again, he talks about using many phrases, saying idle, meaningless things. And, and you can tell when people change the tone of their voice when they pray. When they pray it's to look impressive to man. Sometimes it kind of makes me sick. But <clears throat> when we go into, into prayer, we got, we got to know it's a dialogue. Prayer's not a monologue, it's a dialogue. <clears throat> Sometimes we talk too much in prayer. Just because you can pray a long time doesn't mean that you mean it. <laughs> Long prayers don't necessarily equal sincerity. <clears throat> now, oh, <laughs> I remember when Jesus comes back from the Garden of Gethsemane, he gets onto his disciples and he says, could you not tarry for one hour? And I'm, that was a big movement for a time in the church of like, we got to tarry for one hour a day. We got to tarry in prayer for one hour a day. And we exhaust ourselves trying to tarry for one hour and we focus for about two minutes. <laughs> now understand, God is not attracted to the length of, the, length of our prayer or the eloquency of our prayer. He's a attracted to genuine hearts in prayer. It's definitely good to work at praying longer, but you can't expect to get up and run a marathon tomorrow if you've been sitting on the couch eating Twinkies for six months. So just go after it in genuineness. And if it's only two minutes of genuine prayer, that's awesome. And, if, and I promise you, if you'll go after it genuine, that two minutes will turn into five, and that five will turn into ten, and that ten will turn into an hour. Like that. I mean, it'll, it'll come on. If you'll get in there, he will make you hungry for him. He will. If you'll get in there and focus on him, he will make you hungry for him. And, that, and now I can go in my office, which is my prayer closet, I can go in there and spend two hours like it's nothing. Two hours flies by, and I'm like, really two hours already? That's crazy. It, but, but don't expect to get up and tarry for two hours tomorrow if you haven't developed a prayer life with the Lord. <clears throat> that, the time came as I cultivated a life of prayer and devotion, consistently and intentionally going after Him. But remember, in this prayer is a dialogue, it's okay to just sit and listen. It's, it's not just you speaking to God. You've got to be willing to sit and listen to him. He's actually got way better stuff to say to us than we have to him. <laughs> sit and meditate on him in silence. He'll give you what you need. Romans ten seventeen that says faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. When Paul wrote that, he wasn't talking about the Bible. Because there was no Bible. <laughs> that, that, the Greek word used there is rhema. And rhema means spoken. Faith comes by hearing the Spirit speak secrets to you. Faith comes by the Lord talking to you. Faith come, You go in your secret place and the Lord will begin to talk to your heart if you, if you can sit in His presence. He'll talk to us. He'll impress things on us. He'll, give us. He'll give us dreams and visions. He will talk to us. In your secret place, God is going to speak to you. He will whisper to your heart. But we've got to be quiet sometimes. We get a, this is a, a discipline of sitting in silence at his feet and letting him speak to us. When Mary sat at the feet of Jesus, she wasn't saying a word. Verse 8. Verse 8 says that God knows what we need before we ask. And many times you see that and like, well, then why pray at all? <laughs> but that thought comes from the wrong understanding of prayer because prayer does a couple things for us. It, it, it demonstrates our need and dependency on God. And prayer also changes us. Prayer changes us. He knows what we need, and many times we don't know what we need. But as we pray, our will begins to line up with his will. It gets us into his presence. And again, I said this, you are who you hang around. You become like what you behold. Everybody becomes like what they worship. 
everybody becomes like what they worship. How do you know what you worship? Where does your time go? Where does your money go? Where does your affection go? We become like the object in which we worship. The more we pray in secret, the more our prayers will begin to reflect his heart and our desires will become his desires. So again, repeating the same words or phrases over and over again is not wrong. It's the motive behind them. Jesus encourages persistent prayer, but mindlessly or religiously repeating phrases is not going to get an answer. Before, before you pray, make sure you mean what you say. Okay, now switch gears. Now he's going into the Lord's Prayer. Um, <clears throat> it's okay to pray the Lord's Prayer, but we've got to understand that in this, Jesus is actually teaching us how to pray, not necessarily what to pray. He's giving us an outline or a model here of how to pray. This pattern can be imitated or duplicated, and it was actually pretty common in this day for rabbis to give their followers prayers that they could pray. And so if you, if you look in Luke 1 and 2, where the, the Lord's Prayer is in, in the book of Luke, the disciples actually come to Jesus and they tell him, teach us how to pray. Teach us a prayer. Teach us something that we, we can pray. And so he does, he says this, but he's saying pray, he's saying, pray this way. Pray this way. This is an outline for all believers. How powerful would it be if all believers in America, across the world, got on the same page about what they were praying? How incredible, even if we're in the secret place, how incredible would that be if we were all praying about the same thing? And here's our model right here. In verse 9, Jesus starts the prayer with, Our Father. Our, I could camp out right here for the next two hours because this is huge. The fact that Jesus said, when you pray, start like this, our father. We're like, duh, because we've seen that and that's how we pray all the time. But this was revolutionary. This is one of the things that got Jesus killed. They didn't know him as their father. And for Jesus to say, our father, they said that he was basically equating himself to the Lord and they wanted to kill him after this. This was considered blasphemy. And he's now telling us to call him father. He's giving us permission to call him father. This is such an amazing revelation. This right here, these two words that he starts us with, listen, they changed prayer forever. They changed prayer forever. The fact that he started with our father. When you approach God, this is how you talk to him. He's dad. That's what he is. He's dad. Romans eight twenty nine says, Jesus came to be the firstborn among many brethren. And so we now get to approach him like he's dad. He's our father. And listen, he's more of a father to us than our own biological father is to us. He is. He's more of a father to us than our own biological father. He had us in mind before he laid the foundations of the world. His thoughts for us each day outnumber the grains of sand on the seashore. He's a good dad. Jesus is showing us that we've been adopted into a family, that we're sons and daughters. Now, we don't approach him flippantly. <laughs> He's not your buddy. He's not your sidekick. He's father. But we, don't, we also, it's important, we don't approach him like he's an angry judge waiting to send you to hell. He's father. He's father. He's not angry with you. He's Father, and He loves us more than we could ever imagine. 
We don't go into his presence demanding things, just like when my kids come into my presence demanding things, they don't get it. <laughs> he's, lovely, he's loving, but we still have to have reverence for him. We, we should live in holy fear of him, which leads to Jesus' next point. May your name be kept holy, or hallowed be thy name. So the first thing that we're supposed to do as we come into prayer after acknowledging his father is we give him praise. We give him praise and we lift up his name. We come in with respect and awe. We step into the fear of the Lord. Sometimes we need to think about who we're talking to before we talk to him. Sometimes we need to think about who we're talking to. There's a level of respect that's due to his name because it's holy. The angels are around him right now. They've been singing the same song for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. They constantly are saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy, holy, holy. And they're not saying that he's without sin. That's not a compliment to God. They're saying there is no one like you. There is no one like you. You are so different than anything else. You are so other than anything else. That's what they're saying over and over. And we need to step back and think like, he's that holy. He's that different as we step into his presence. And, And that should cause us to enter in praising and glorifying his name as we come into prayer. That's the first thing that we're supposed to do. Before we bring any need before him, before we ask for anything or say anything else, we must see him correctly as Father, and then we must begin to praise. Do you see that connection there? Our Father, hallowed be thy name. We have to see him correctly as Father, and then we begin to praise. And Psalms 100 says that you enter into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. And so praise actually grants us permission into the court with the king. Verse 10, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is the first thing that we ask for, for his will to be done. This, and I want to say this, this isn't a cute little saying that we put on a t-shirt. This is serious. This, is, this isn't a cute little catchphrase. This is our mandate to bring heaven to earth, to build the kingdom of God, to usher in his will here as much as it's going on in heaven. And his will in heaven is being carried out 100%. And so his desire for the earth is for his will to be carried out 100%. And he wants us to line ourselves up with him and begin to pray this and usher in his will everywhere that we go. We come under submission to his will. We, we don't ever need to settle for less than 100%. We don't need to build accommodating theology because we don't see it right away. We just work on continually lining up ourselves with the will of heaven. And I, Revelation eleven fifteen is what we're working for. It's what we're working towards, that the kingdoms of this world become the kingdom of our God. That is the goal. That is our goal every day, to build his kingdom, to bring heaven here in your homes, in your neighborhood, in your workplaces, in your community, in your city. God has a plan for the earth, and that plan is us. He said, go and make disciples of nations. When Adam sinned, God didn't give up on the earth. He still has a plan that he wants to carry out. That's why you're here. And if he didn't have a plan for your life when you got saved, guess what? You would get raptured out of here. But he left you here. And not to just survive, he left you here to thrive. (laughs) So this should be part of our prayer every day. Lord, show me how to carry out your will on earth as it is in heaven. I saw a new stat the other day about atheism. Atheism is now the largest religion in America. I don't know why it's a religion. I guess they come together and unify over their belief in nothing, but anyway. (laughs) Largest religion in America. Listen, when you hear that, it either scares you 
or it stirs something up inside of you to turn the light on. Instead of us complaining about how dark it is outside, we need to turn the light on. First Corinthians, or, uh, sorry, First John chapter 3, Jesus says Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. He left us here to continue to destroy the works of the devil. He filled us with the Spirit, turned that job over to us. We're now his ambassadors proclaiming the kingdom everywhere that we go. God accomplishes his will on earth by us obeying him. This part of the prayer allows us to offer ourselves as doers of God's will, asking him to guide, lead, and give us the means to accomplish his will. Instead of all of us just praying about what we want, praying about our dreams or our agenda or what's on our hearts, this prayer gets us praying his dream and his agenda and his heart. Okay, moving on because we're running out of time here. I told you there's so much here. I could just, I could stay in like one verse for the whole time. Verse 11, give us our daily bread. That bread is basically just a symbol that is necessary. It's for, for our daily survival, what we need that day. <clears throat> it could be food, but not necessarily. It's what you need each day. God knows our needs better than we do. We must trust in him to provide all of our needs. And I like how it's daily. You know, the Israelites, when they gathered manna in the desert, they could never gather more than what was just for that day. And if they did, it would spoil. They could only gather what it was that day. So he's, give us this day our daily bread. I like this too. Jesus later then tells them that he's the bread of life. He's what we need every day. You go after him every day and he'll give you what you need every day. Amen? <laughs> Verse 12, forgive us of our debts as we forgive those who have debts against us. Jesus makes it clear here that in, 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 when he's talking about this and seeking our forgiveness from God, we have to forgive those who have trespassed against us. His forgiveness for us, this is big here, his forgiveness for you depends on your forgiveness for other people. We have to forgive the wrongs that have been done to us so that he then will forgive us. Some translations say, for, you know, we forgive our debts. Some say trespasses or whatever, but our sin has put us in a debt. Romans says that the wages of our sin is death. And so there was a debt to be paid that Jesus paid for us. Now we must die to ourselves and cancel the debt that is owed to us. Die to yourself and forgive that person that you're holding something against. Because he says here, if we don't forgive those who have wronged us, then he won't forgive us. That is, that's a lot. I didn't say it, he did. So don't leave here offended at me. It was all Jesus. <laughs> we must have the same attitude as Jesus on the cross. Father, forgive them because they don't know what they do. And the first martyr, Stephen, said, Father, don't hold this sin against him. As he's being killed, we have to have that same attitude. Verse 13, lead us not into temptation, but, but deliver us from the evil one. This is all about praying for strength to not give in to temptation. We've just asked for forgiveness. And so this next part, Jesus is telling us, now, Lord, give us strength so that we may sin no more. We just ask for forgiveness of sin. This next part is give us strength, Lord, so we don't do that again. He's not saying that God tempts us. James 1, 13 and 14 makes it clear that God doesn't tempt anyone. He allows us to be tempted, but he is not the tempter himself. This is asking God to give us strength and lead us away from sin. The evil one, the enemy, Satan is the one who tempts us. And understand this church, we cannot stand on our own. We cannot do this on our own. We have to have his help. If we could do this on our own, then there would be no reason for the cross. 
He came, died on the cross, rose again, and sent the Holy Spirit to live on the inside of you to help you overcome the sin. He came to take it away, to, set us, to bring us into freedom. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And so be sure that we are asking the Spirit for strength so that we can walk in freedom every day. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, God will not allow us to be attempted beyond what we can bear. It is only by His grace that we can overcome our weak areas. The next part's omitted from some translations that says, for yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. It wasn't in some of the earlier manuscripts, so some of your translations in your Bibles may not have it. Jesus may not have said this, but it doesn't contradict anything that he said. It's in keeping with his teachings. If he said it, he's saying it's all yours. We trust in you. It's your kingdom by your power for your glory. Amen. (laughs) That's what he's saying. Verses 14 and 15. Um, he, he begins the first word of verses 14 and 15. Let's actually read this real quick because the first word is important here. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. So he goes, he goes back into the forgiveness thing. And so we've got to be sure that we forgive those who trespass against us so that he will forgive us. This is a prerequisite for prayer that we have to forgive those. This is a prereq for coming into his presence. You must receive forgiveness. You must give forgiveness to come into the presence of God. That's the whole point of prayer. The believer who prays for forgiveness and hold feelings against another person is asking God to do something that he himself is unwilling to do. We cannot live forgiven by God if we don't ourselves forgive. We don't forgive others. We are denying a common ground as sin, that we are sinners and all in need of God's forgiveness. Verses 16 through 18, he begins to talk about fasting. It, fasting basically means that we abstain for food, abstain from food. It's tied to prayer though. Fasting and prayer, they go hand in hand. And, and fasting, I would say, is a way to remind us to pray. And in this time, fasting, it was an expectation. The Pharisees did it a couple times a week. They expected all their followers to do it a couple times a week. And Jesus here says, when you fast, not if you fast, when you fast. So it's also expected of us to fast, that we are also expected to fast, but it's not this legalistic thing. So don't get caught up in all that. But again, the Pharisees were making a spectacle of it. They wanted attention from men. They wanted people to be impressed with them. And Jesus is showing us here again, it's not about you. It's all about him. Don't make it about yourself. If you do it, do it in secret. Wash your hair. Wash your face. Look good. Don't go around touting everybody. I'm fasting today. I'm so hungry. (laughs) If we will go, again, if we'll go after him in secret, he will overflow into us in the public, in in a public place. And here's here's one thing, church, that I want to encourage you to do. You need to fast if your hunger for the Lord has waned. If you are not hungry for the Lord like you used to be, if he's not your first love like he used to be, you might need to fast. And when you fast, every time you feel a hunger pain, that is your reminder, I need to pray. And a a lot of times our culture revolves, sometimes I find my days revolving, what am I going to eat for lunch? What are we going to eat for dinner? And I'm constantly thinking about food. Like I want, like I, I love food. Food is awesome. I believe food is a gift from the Lord. I love food. Fasting is hard. I love to feast, man. I want to feast. (laughs) Um, Fasting is hard. But when we give up, so when we give up food, there's going to be reminders to pray because you're going to think about food. 
especially if you're not in a habit of fasting, you're going to think about food a lot. And whenever you feel hungry, whenever you think about food, that is your reminder for that day. I need to pray. I need to go. I need to go after him. Fasting is also sacrificial. It's a way that we give something up for the Lord. And and many times for me, it's a way to make sure that I don't live by my belly, that I don't live by my own desires, that I'm lining up my will and my desires with him. (laughs) And, And that way we're not living to eat, but we just eat to live. He's our daily bread. He's all that we need. He's all that we need. Now, I'm closing. This whole section was all about prayer. But we must understand that prayer is not a time for us to tell God what to do. Prayer is a time to get in his presence and begin to know his will so that we can then carry it out into the world around us. The key here is John fifteen seven, and this is what prayer is all about. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Because if you remain in him and you get in him, in Jesus' name won't be some magical prepositional phrase that'll make everything come true. You'll actually be in him. When you commune with him, you get his authority. And then you can actually come in a powerful, authoritative way in the world and come at, in Jesus' name, be healed. In Jesus' name, devil, get out of here. May your kingdom come in this room right now in Jesus' name. And if you will commune with him and you'll stay in that place of intimacy, you'll bring heaven everywhere that you go. Did y'all get something out of this? Sorry, I went a little over. Let's stand here and we'll pray tonight. God, we thank you so much for tonight. We thank you so much for your word. Lord, we thank you so much that we get to have a personal, intimate relationship with our Father that's not far away, but in, in heaven here, close by. The kingdom is here. It's near. It's at hand. And we get to have a relationship with you closely right now. Lord, teach us to pray. Let our hearts cry be like the disciples. Let us always come like children before you humbly and say, teach us to pray, God. We don't want our will done. We want your will done. We want your will done because we know that if we walk in your will, then all our longings, everything that we hunger for will be satisfied. That void will be filled if we stay in your will. God, I thank you so much for all of our volunteers that make service possible. I thank you for the nursery workers and the children's church workers and the junior high workers tonight. Lord, I ask that you would bless them for giving up their time to come and serve and raise up the next generation. Holy Spirit, fill us. Let our lives be an overflow of you. Teach us how to shine your light everywhere that we go. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to the CMC Podcast. For more information about CMC, our different conferences, Christian school, college internship, resources, and more, go to cmchurch.com.